To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors to live your way and sinners who will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken spirit and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Thank you, Chris, for praying. Thank you, Laura, for reading. It's excellent to see you. Let me extend my welcome to you. My name's Freddie, and I'm one of the ministry associates here. Welcome to, if you're watching on YouTube, It'd be excellent if you could keep a Bible open in front of you. If you've not got one on your seat, there's some dotted around, so do feel free to grab those. There's also a handout that should be on your chair. Um, But let me first ask God for his help as we read his word. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we thank you for your abundant love that we have sung of. We thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus, that we can stand before your throne because of what he has done. Help us now, Lord, to hear you speak through your word. And please help us to trust what you say, for your decrees are very trustworthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, two questions for us to think about before we look at Psalm 51. Question number one, how did your last apology go? We say sorry lots, don't we? Often for not very good reason, um, not necessarily because we've really wronged anyone else, but try and think back to a time when you really intended to apologize for something that, that really needed to be apologized for. Maybe it went something like this. Sorry, I haven't been in touch for a while. I've just been really busy lately. Or sorry, I was unkind earlier. I was just really tired. 
And apologies, they do often sound like that, don't they, when we apologize to people with some sort of asterisk or caveat or excuse tacked on at the end. Often, when we know we need to say sorry, we come up with reasons as to why our actions were in some way excusable, not as bad as they seemed, or not really our fault in the first place. I think that is how we often apologize to other people. But secondly, for us to reflect on, how did your last apology to God go? What did you say? And did you find yourself trying to make your actions more excusable, not as bad as they seemed, or not really your fault in the first place? And I think that is how we often apologize to God. And apologies do range from varying degrees of seriousness, but the most important, the most serious, must be how we apologize to God, the one who knows us and made us, and the one who is not like us. I mean, how do you go about apologizing to God? Well, thanks be to God for Psalm 51, where God, speaking through David, tells us the sort of apology that he wants from us, the sort of response to our sin that he wants from us. And it's worth saying at this point that continuing to confess our sin to God is a major part of our Christian life. It's not just how we start being Christians. We don't say sorry once and never say sorry to God again. Because, folks, isn't it true that every day we do wicked things that we need to apologize to God for? Isn't that true? Every day. And if that isn't a habit that you're in, then this psalm will help you start in the right way, in the way that God wants you to confess your sin to him. And if confessing your sin is something you would do regularly, maybe now it's become dry, or you're saying things by rote rather than necessarily meaning them from your heart. And this psalm will help us take stock of how we are confessing our sin to God, and it will help us to grow in that. And maybe you're listening and you've never confessed your sin to God. You wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You don't believe in Jesus. Well, we're very glad that you're listening. And do come and speak to me or Roger at the end if you have questions about what is said. But do consider that as we read through this psalm, that Christians aren't people who have everything together, but are people who acknowledge that they do wrong, as everyone else does. And they acknowledge that to God. They trust that he can deal with it, and they know great joy in being forgiven and living for God as a result. Christians are people who acknowledge that they do wrong. So do think about that as we go through this passage in the Bible. If you're following along in the handout, we're on context. At the very start of the psalm, the heading tells us that David wrote this for the choir master. 
intending that people would hear it, and he wrote it at a specific time. Just at the top of chapter 51, Psalm 51, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. When you hear the name King David, you probably think of two events in his life. The first one, when he killed Goliath, a great victory for God and his people. And secondly, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, a great failure in David's life. And it's after the second one that this psalm is written. And when we were in 2 Samuel a little while ago, this event, it became less of a, a tale of a king who spies a girl in the distance who he likes. But it became more of what it really is. It's a horrendous and wicked chain of events. Because David didn't just commit adultery, but sexual assault and murder. This was an appalling failure of God's king. It was so evil and so wicked. But this psalm, this, this prayer of David for forgiveness, it demonstrates that there is mercy for David There is mercy for anyone who apologizes to God. And this psalm will teach us how we are to do that, how we are to respond to our sin. So, number one on the handout. David first teaches us to honestly confess our sin and our all-affecting sin problem, verses 1 to 6. It might be helpful at this stage to define some terms. David uses a variety of words for for evil, for wickedness in this psalm. Look at verses 1 and 2. He says, Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. And I take it to mean that David is speaking about specifically what he has done in the episode with Bathsheba, the fact that he has gone against what God has said. But he's also very aware that his problem with sin did not start on the day that he saw Bathsheba and took advantage of her. Have a look at verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We're talking here about from the moment David came into existence, from that moment he was full of sin. And that's the other way David talks about sin in this psalm, like a disease that plagues every part of him. It's a problem inside David that the evil actions he has done are demonstrative of. They flow out of what's going on inside. And so when I talk about a sin problem, I'm talking about the sin disease that affects every single person in this world to their very core, which produces the evil that we say and do and think. And so we have David's sin, what he's done in the Bathsheba episode, and we have David's sin problem. He is corrupted to the core, producing all the evil that he does. And so in verse 1, 
he turns to God. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. David knows that God is merciful and gracious and that he is able to deal with his sin, to wash him and to cleanse him. Because verse 3, David knows that he has done wrong and is conscious of his sin. His sin is ever before him. He is so broken over what he has done because he knows full well the seriousness of it. Because verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. God is absolutely right to judge David for what he has done, because it's God that declares good to be good and evil to be evil, and it's against God that David has sinned. And he admits this, he lays himself bare before God and acknowledges that it is up to God to be the judge. God is in no way at fault, but it is fully David's responsibility. And as we've said of verse 5, David's sin problem has been here since his first moment of being. And so what's the big takeaway for us? We'll have a look at verse 6. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. David says that God delights in truth in the inward being. What does he mean by that? Well, I think from what he's just said, admitting that he has done wicked things and that he is plagued by sin, in verse 6, he tells us that God delights in that kind of honesty about his sin and his sin problem. God wants us to be honest about what we are really like. And he says after that in verse 6, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And I think David means that this honesty this honesty about his sin and his sin problem, it's wise to admit that. To be honest with God about what we are really like is to be wise. And that's unfamiliar to us, isn't it? I mean, have you ever considered before that God wants you to be honest about your sin to him? It's very helpful to know that God has told us what he wants. He's told us that he wants honesty about what we have done and what we are like. As we said earlier, we are so quick to give excuses, asterisks, caveats when we apologize to other people. And we so often do the same when we apologize to God. But David, he doesn't do that, does he? There is no asterisks, there is no excuses in David's confession. 
just painful honesty that David has done horrendous evil and that he's plagued by the sin disease and he's broken over that. And we too need to confess to God the evil that we have done and the fact that we are plagued by the same sin disease as David was and be broken over that. We must not cover up our sin, as Will was saying last week in Psalm 32. So when you apologize to God, maybe later this evening, as you daily trust in the death of Jesus for your forgiveness, be honest about what you are really like. Ask him to show you what you are really like. How might that sound? Well, some examples. Dear God, I'm so sorry for the way that I have lusted today. I knew it was wrong, but I did it anyway because I am full of sin. Or, dear God, I confess to you the way that I have lied and profited from it. I acknowledge that my problem goes far deeper and is far greater than just this one thing because I was sinful from the day that I was conceived. Or, dear God, I acknowledge that today I have spoken about other people in an evil and unkind way. And though I have sinned against these people, I have sinned against you. Forgive me, Lord. And we admit these things to a God who shows steadfast love, who is abundant in mercy. We must not lie to him. We must be honest. We must be candid about what we have done and what we are like to our very core. And as we are honest about our sin to God, we resolve then that we want to change. We want to never do it again. And so, have a look at number two on the handout. David teaches us to humbly ask God to forgive and change us. Verses 7 to 12. Notice what David asks of God in this section. Verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. David has acknowledged the wrong that he has done and the problem that he has, and now he asks God to address that problem, to purge him, to wash him, And that is in order that his grief over his sin, his brokenness, might turn to the joy of being forgiven. But he doesn't just ask for his situation to change. He doesn't just ask for his mood to change. In verse 10, he wants what is inside him to change. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
He longs for it. He longs for his very core to be changed so that he would never do this same evil again. And he acknowledges too that this episode with Bathsheba was evil and wicked, but that it wasn't a glitch in an otherwise blameless life because he is corrupt to his very core, full of sin, thoroughly plagued by the sin disease. David knows that his problem goes even deeper than answering to God on rape and murder charges. Of course, God takes these very seriously. But David needs to be washed and cleansed and have his very heart made new. Because God's solution to the sin problem does not stop and end with just forgiving us for what we have done. Though, of course, that is wonderful and a crucial part of the good news that we have believed about Jesus. But there's more to it. God is also in the business of changing people's hearts, their very inner beings by his Spirit. And David demonstrates that longing to be changed. It's no surprise that when God the Son took on flesh in history, we see him cleansing people who are unclean, exposing people who think they are clean, but are just as unclean as everyone else. And Jesus says this in Mark. It will be familiar to lots of us. He says this. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The Lord Jesus is the greatest cardiologist, the greatest heart doctor, the sin doctor, who gave David and who gives us new hearts hearts that can obey him and do what he says. Because although David's evil and his evil heart were massive problems, things that he could do nothing about, he appeals to God to deal with it because God is able to deal with it. God can take it. Sometimes when we confess our sin to God, we try and pretend that it is a smaller problem than it really is. Maybe that's so that we, we think that, that it'll be more manageable for God to deal with it. But that's just very unrealistic, isn't it? The problem is enormous. But God has done an even more enormous thing through the Lord Jesus to forgive our sin and change us, and he promises to rid us of this sin disease forever in the new creation. And praise God for that. Praise God. And we can echo this yearning of David to change, to stop sinning against God. We might pray, having already confessed our sin, dear God, Please help me to change. 
Give me a willingness to obey you and stop sinning in this way. Help me to hate this sin and purge it from me. Thank you that one day this sin disease will be rid of forever when Jesus returns. Let's keep going on through the psalm. Have a look at verse 11. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. I think David is appealing here that God wouldn't take away his position as the king that he's been especially filled with the Holy Spirit to do. But God has made promises to David, and David prays, taking hold of those promises. He longs to be restored to the joy of God's salvation and to be obedient to God, to have a willing spirit. David is determined, as he prays, to change. And he knows that God must do that in him and will do that in him. And the goal of David's being changed is that he would be able to worship God properly, truly, and rightly. And so, lastly, number three, David teaches us heartfelt confession leading to right worship. Have a look at verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. David asks that God would forgive him in order that he can teach others, teach others to return to the Lord. He asks that God would deliver him from his guilt, that he would be able to sing of God's righteousness, God's upholding of his justice, and that his lips would be opened to praise God for what he has done. Because David knows that for God to forgive him, as he does, means that God is utterly deserving of praise. He upholds his justice while forgiving a guilty sinner, which no one else can do. But God, the judge, the Savior, can and has. And in verse 16 to 19, David teaches the people of God what God has taught him about the link between confessing our sin and worshiping God rightly. Notice the number of times the word sacrifice is used in these verses. Verse 16, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. And verse 19, then will you delight in right sacrifices. And I think when we hear the word sacrifice in the Bible, we might think of atonement, a lamb or a goat dying in the place of a sinner. 
And that is one aspect of sacrifice in the Bible. But I think that the sacrifice that is being mentioned here, David is thinking less about atonement and more about expressions of worship to God. So he says in verse 16, God does not want these expressions of worship, these sacrifices, but he does want, verse 17, a broken and contrite heart, heartfelt confession about our sin and our sin problem. David then prays, verse 18, that God would build up the people of God. And from this psalm, I think he's praying that God would make people follow David's example of confessing their sin to God honestly. Then, verse 19, God will delight in the expressions of worship, the sacrifices of the people. So God says in verse 16 that he doesn't want their expressions of worship, their sacrifices. And then in verse 19, he says that he does want their expressions of worship, their sacrifices. So what, what's going on there? What, is, what, what does David mean by that? Well, it's there on the handout. I think what these verses mean is that there is no right worship without heartfelt confession. Verse 16, God will not delight in David's expressions of worship to him unless David honestly confesses his sin to God. David's point is that it would not be pleasing to God for David to go on sacrificing, offering his expressions of worship to God, while he is being dishonest with God about his sin. But once David honestly confesses, he has his heart broken by his sin, and he comes to God, then, verse 19, God will delight in David's worship, David's sacrifices. And David wants the people of God to know this, that this will build them up and make their worship right and acceptable. And so, some thoughts on how this helps the people of God today, how this helps us. Our worship does not look like a bull on an altar but offering our whole lives to God in service of him, in response to what he's done. But David's point about getting confession and worship in the right order definitely still stands for us. Because verse 16, God does not want what we can offer him in worship, our efforts to him, if we have not been honest with him about our sin. Of course, God wants our worship, but we mustn't get the order wrong. Let me give an example of how this might look. We might think, I have sinned, and I feel very guilty about it. I know that God did not want me to do what I have just done. But before I go to him, let me carry on with my Christian life and just try much harder. I'll read my Bible every day. 
I'll clean every chair in church, and so on. And then I'll go to God when I feel a bit better about myself. I feel a bit cleaner, and then I'll, then I'll be honest with God about my sin. But that is not what God wants from us. We've got the order wrong in that scenario. Because verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. Maybe you can relate to that example that I gave. And David says in this psalm that God wants us to go to him with our sin honestly. And then, in the joy of forgiveness, as God continues to show his abundant mercy to us, then we worship God with our whole lives. We might even say to God, like David, dear God, it is in my nature to want to clean myself up before I come to you with my sin. But you do not delight in my worship without my honest confession. So, as we close, if you were here this morning, what we're saying this evening sounds very similar. The takeaway message is very similar. We must go to God in honesty and contrition. He has said that he wants you to. He is thoroughly able to deal with your sin, the enormity of your sin disease. And he has done, he has dealt with it through his son, the Lord Jesus. And so, as we go on confessing our sin to God, We respond with our whole lives, knowing the mercy that he has shown us. So, let's be honest with him as you leave the building this evening. Be honest with God. Let me pray for us now. Dear God, you delight in truth in the inward being. You will not despise the contrite heart. Help us, Lord, as we go from here this evening to be honest with you and to know the joy of forgiveness and so live for you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name, amen.